0: Hi, Mission Gathering. Um, We're talking about compassion these next few weeks, and I was tasked with talking about boundaries. So um, I think boundaries are healthy ways of managing my feelings inwardly, and then also my relationships outwardly. What I mean by that is, is I've known when my boundaries have been not in a healthy place, when I've related to people either too close or kept them too far away and it's in those extremes that i I think there's a third way of health in the middle that allows us to live compassionately but in a sustainable way in in a in a way that honors ourselves and the other so i want to unpack that a little bit and first talk about what it looks like when our boundaries are too far away and i think instead of compassion what i actually experience in relationship to others is pity um because It's much easier to feel sorry for someone than it is to feel what they're feeling. Like, um, if I'm walking by someone experiencing homelessness as they sit on the corner, it's much easier just to feel bad for them for a few fleeting moments than it is to take the time to imagine what they're feeling. And then trace back to an experience I've had that, where I had a similar feeling. And then relate those those feelings together of hopelessness or isolation or loneliness or abandonment. All that, that, that costs way, way more than I'm oftentimes willing to give. And so I default to pity. But I don't think God pities us. I don't think God pities me. I think God is compassionate. And... I see in the book of Exodus one of many examples of this. When it says, uh, in verse 24 of chapter 2, it says, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And what's God do then? He doesn't just see that, what's happening, and feel bad. He he sends a method of liberation. You know, Moses and the people are given freedom um as they um, mobilize together it's beautiful because i think one of the problems with pity is it it causes myself to overemphasize that which i'm uncomfortable with so to go back to like the homelessness example people have been living in tents for like thousands of years it's not you know it's it's not that unusual if you think about it still are all over the world It's it's not it's not that big of a deal, and yet I'll center myself in that other person's experience because I'm uncomfortable, and because I'm comparing my experience with their experience. And so I live in a house, and you live in a tent. And so, and what I'll do is I'll that ends up instead of it points to my own sense of discomfort, rather than pointing out the injustice of what led to that situation in the first place the broken systems that have um enabled this right it centers me in a way in their experience that actually is really unhealthy and that the problem is though is 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 compassion actually doesn't it's not comparison it's not the same thing um that's because grief doesn't actually compare either let me give an example to, to explain this um, one of my dear friends, his wife, a couple of years ago, um, fought through breast cancer. And so um, I spent um, days and days and days and days just sitting in the Issaquah Swedish hospital, just being there. And so I saw lots of their friends come and go, and that's fine, that's great. People brought things. But I also learned a lot by talking with them. And one of the things they would share, was just how difficult it was for people to experience their grief. Like she would share how um, one of her friends would come in and just get so angry about her breast cancer. And then she found herself, get this, comforting them because they felt so bad about it. That's, what's, why, why is she comfort, you know, it, and it, It has a way of centering ourselves and it it, it misses misses the point um, that it, um, I think what it does is actually, I think it's, it reveals our own sense of self-pity because we're insecure with how to mourn. At least I know I am. I I feel like we are, as Americans, are very ill-equipped with what it looks like to properly mourn. And if we're going to be compassionate people, we got to get really, really used to mourning. To, to experiencing the grief of others without defaulting to a sense of pity or self-pity. As an um, a Enneagram 2, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's been helpful for me. But one of the ways I know that I'm always going to go in unhealth is if I start acting like a martyr. Like, oh, and it's just self-pity is all it is, right? Is I, how could they do this to me? And why did this happen to me? it's just It's just self-pity. But ultimately, oftentimes where it comes from, is my martyrdom comes from a messiah complex because I thought I could change everything and then I felt bad because everything went against me. But I, I think compassion is healthier. I think that's the healthier road. Um, because it doesn't I'm doing all those things out of defense of myself. I'm trying to protect myself, and you're trying to protect yourself. We don't want to experience my friend's breast cancer, like the feelings she's going through, and so we'd much rather get angry and go through our own cycle of grief. But but I think compassion decides to enter into the feelings of another it um and I think pity is exchanged for compassion when we dare to really know others, just like self pity by the way, is exchanged for humility when we dare to know ourselves I mean, it's, it's' simple and yet profound as the scriptures say to mourn with those who mourn i like it, it it's simple, but wow, how difficult that is to just mourn with those who mourn. One of my favorite examples of this is in Scripture and the story of Jesus and Lazarus. And it's, it's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. I know this because uh, I went to Bible college. So you're welcome. And it just simply says, Jesus wept. And, um, and it's because it, it's happening in the context of his friend, his good friend Lazarus has died. And uh, Jesus shows up late, and everyone's like, where you been? And um, he doesn't have a good excuse at all. And he gets there, and the Bible says he starts crying. But then just a few verses later, the Bible also says that Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave. So he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the grave. And yet, what I think that story reveals to me is something beautiful about humanity. That hope and grief... Can coexist. And one does not discredit the other, but they both are held together when we live compassionate lives. Hope and grief can coexist, they're not mutually exclusive. So, ultimately, what I'm trying to say with this point is that pity cannot survive close proximity. So the antidote for pity and moving towards compassion, if you feel like you've been hurt and so you've put up some defenses and so it's, it's resulted in pity because it's defense. I get it. I've been there too. I don't want to get hurt again. And so what we've done then, right, is, is, um, we, um, the antidote to that is to choose to get close again, to choose to feel what others are feeling, to emotionally get close to people. Um, so, on the other extreme, right, that's one, is is people keeping people too far away. But then the other extreme, too, that we've experienced is keeping people too close. Um, And have you ever experienced that? Like, where someone's asked something from you, right? They asked to borrow something or they asked for you to help them move or something, whatever it is. I cannot stand helping people move. That's why I don't own a truck, by the way. Boundaries. So, <laughs> But we, they ask you for something and then they ask something else of you and, <laughs> and, and then, uh, um, <laughs> and then it, it starts to feel like they're no longer asking from stuff of you, but now they're asking, they're taking parts of you and it starts feeling like an infringement on your boundaries. And, and I've lashed out in those moments. I've ghosted people, I've buffered, whatever it might be, but, but it, ultimately, what's happened is they've they've uh, moved in on who I am as a person, and it's and it's become um, codependent or some kind of unhealth has sprung up. They've made me feel they've played the perpetual victim, which is a great manipulative tool, by the way, because it always makes you feel indebted to them, right? And then you always feel like you have to help them. These kinds of these kinds of things start. End up happening, and it, it it makes a really unhealthy relationship. And I've learned that um, that it, it's actually really it's ultimately about dignity. Because when I reassert boundaries in my life and say no, this is actually where where I end, and this is where you begin, and this is who you are, and this is who I am, and and what I'm actually doing there is I'm, I'm maintaining the dignity of myself right, and saying, no, this is where I end. But I'm also reminding them of their own dignity, that this is actually where you begin. You are your own person, and I am not you, and you are not me. We are separate, and yet, yes, we are intimately connected as common shareholders in this humanity, but we are different. We are unique and separate, and that's okay. Um, It's, frankly, it's it's helped me learn how to stop saying sorry all the time, which by the way, if if you, if you apologize way too much, that's a great indicator that, um, you need some work on boundaries, but I've just stopped saying sorry because I don't have anything to, to say sorry for. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just simply saying instead of, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't do that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Maybe I'll help next time. It's all, that's actually not dignifying of them or of me. Instead, I've replaced it with just simply, no, I'm not willing to do that. And I, and that's hurt people's feelings, of course. And, but it's, it's a way of inviting them back into what health looks like. And it, it's maintaining the dignity of myself and ultimately maintaining the dignity of others as well. As I've studied um, poverty and, uh, as part of my um, current doctorate studies, I have found that, um, that what people need most oftentimes, generally speaking, is a sense of personal power. So hope is this idea that that a situation can change, right? But power is a belief that I have the ability ability to change the situation. And one of the best ways to increase power in someone, a belief of personal power is to provide dignifying experiences for them. Uh, When I used to work at a food bank for about a year, Uh, down in Issaquah. that was central to everything we did uh it it was it dictated why we do what we do uh they used to have a model where we would just hand everyone um the same bag of groceries that we pre-packed and so everyone got the same stuff and we changed it to a select model where we can go, go around just like a regular grocery store and pick out what kind of apples they want oranges and if they want um uh, dairy free, or if they want, um, gluten free or, you know, whatever it might be that they can cater to the, their unique needs of their families. And, and it's a small thing I know, but it, but it was, it, it lent to a sense of personal power. that you have the, ch- the power of choice? You get to select. That's not me. And it, it spilled over into the way we provided customer service, not charity, but customer service to people and hopefully it provided a dignifying experience so that people could leave with a sense of, I can change my situation. I have the ability, I have that power to do that. It, it's also spilled over too in, in um, and how I've, um, viewed advocacy in so many of today's current, um, cultural, um, conversations we're having, whether it's about race or gender inequality. I, I used to shy away from talking about those things as a white male because I don't want to mansplain or whitesplain things. And like, look at me, another, another white guy with a podcast, <laughs> giving his expert opinion about something like no one needs that. Right. But I've learned that I don't need to speak for people, people, everyone has their own voice. Um, what I can do is amplify the voices of others. That have been marginalized and that's how i see um that's how i see advocacy nowadays is to amplify not replace i i um had a pastor friend that shared with me a story a long time ago about how they were trying to care for someone experiencing homelessness and um, they invited him into their church they, they they met this guy in their city and they invite him over to their church and um, they provided him some new clothes and some food for the night. And he came back the next night and, um, he started attending services and, um, uh, coming on Wednesdays and Sundays. And, and they are just, the whole congregation was just so excited because they were, he would stay afterwards for the, um, the buffet and, um, they just were helping him. You know, he had several, uh, changes of clothes. Now he was looking sharper. They got him a haircut and you know, all this stuff. And then out of nowhere, um, he just stopped coming. And they were so let down. They were like, "We did everything for this guy, and and we just all of a sudden just ghosted us. We just he just vanished." And and then and then I decided to ask the question. I said, um, "What what did he do for you?" And the pastor, without thinking, he responded, "No, no, no, no. That, that's our job." And therein lies the problem, because nobody wants to be a charity case forever. It actually goes against the very DNA of who we are as human beings, that we have this inherent value and power within us, given to us by our creator. You and I are the Imago Dei, the image of the divine that will not allow us to be a charity case forever. It will revolt against that eventually. Because uh, you and I are far more valuable and far more powerful than than we will probably ever know, and I mean this, I, I really do. As the church, that um, I, I take Jesus's words for granted when He says, "You will do greater things than these." I don't think He's being like hyperbolic, or um, that we should take those words and just like over spiritualize them so that they're so ambiguous they're useless. I, I think what if we just took them like super practically, you know? That Jesus healed thousands, and so let's go heal millions. Like let's just one up them everywhere we go, you know? Like what what that's what if that's actually what that verse say? I don't know. Maybe it's not, but I think it might be that that when he says you'll do greater things than these, that he's he's. He is trying to reawaken this sense of personal power that he has in and dwelled in each and every one of us as human beings. As the Imago Day. That um you read a story about me um getting some some angry religious guys to drop some rocks and stop trying to hurt this one woman. You go topple an entire oppressive system that um, seeks to um, make Gender unequal, and you right that wrong for good. Like maybe that's what he means. You know, maybe we just go and run with it. I, I love the, the implications of that, and, and and even take that story back to the original one about him throwing the rocks. Remember how that ends, and it says, "Go and sin no more." I don't see that as a warning. I see that as empowerment. Like go and run with this, lady. You got it. Like that's our God. That just believes in us and sees us stumble and fall and, and then watches us get back up with a friend and go even further. Okay, sorry, went off a little tangent. Let's let's bring it home. Let's land this plate, huh? <laughs> so boundaries. Ultimately, I think what they do is I think they lead to joy, not cynicism. Because I've swam in these social dust justice pools. For a long time i have and people that do this kind of work can be some of the most miserable human beings i've ever known <laughs> and they've become so cynical but i've come to believe that cynicism is just another defense mechanism that keeps us from joy that keeps us from true a true life of compassion uh rob bell explains it this way i think it's profound that That cynics are usually people who are scared to go through the suffering. So they just stay on the edges of it, critiquing those who try to enter. But if you and I decide to enter into it, like really go in to the sufferings of this world. To feel what that person sitting on the corner is feeling. To... um, Realize the amount of work that we need done to change our climate crisis, to put in the work, to feel, to truly feel. On the other side of that is actually joy. And it's like this profound joy. It's the joy that allowed Christ to endure the cross because it didn't end at the cross. There was joy on the other side. I just thought of that. There was joy on the other side. So I want to go in. I want to feel. I don't want to stay on the outside edges. I, um, I want to maintain the dignity of myself and the dignity of others. Uh, I don't want to default to pity. It just protects myself. But it dies the closer I get. You know? And that's gonna require humility to know myself of how I'm feeling, of when boundaries have been um passed, surpassed. It's gonna to have to really know myself. I'm gonna to have to go into myself and actually know when I'm I'm experiencing martyrdom or self-pity. I'm gonna to have to really get in there and find out where that some of that stuff came from in the first place. I'm, I'm going to have to do some work, but also it's going to require compassion. That means I'm going to enlarge my heart towards this world. I want to be a softer and kinder and more generous and more hopeful and more joyful person 10 years from now than I am now. And I think that means we got to go through, not stop at the edge. I want to be softer. So in conclusion, um, let's be those kinds of people. Like healthy boundaries, but may it cost us our lives. Maybe pick up our cross and follow Christ while maintaining the, the very um, spoken dignity that he gives us as the Imago Day. Because for God so loved the world, he didn't pity it. And also the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So there's no need for prof- prof- professional distance. Let's get close to people, feel what they're feeling. All right. I know that was a little bit of a scatter shot, but um, I hope it was helpful. And so, um, go and live this kind of life this week. I, I want to try to. I want to. I want to feel what people are feeling. I want to love better tomorrow than I did today.